recover from your turkey coma. Uh, you give me your attention. We've got several, several announcements. Uh, this Wednesday night, the meal is going to be barbecue chicken, corn, green beans, salad, dessert, and the Nicaragua team. You are the one sponsoring it, or we are the one sponsoring it this, this time. So um, I think the desserts are covered. So if you have any questions, you can see the shape. Um, the 27th, that's tomorrow night, our children.
privilege to be back with you this morning. Thank you so much for uh, just allowing me to be here. Uh, before we get started, if we can, uh, can I take just a, a personal moment and uh, just to let you know that, uh, that I have been praying for you as a church. Uh, my church, Inglewood Baptist Church, has also been praying for you as a church. Uh, we have been praying peace and comfort and God's direction for you uh, as you walk through the past several weeks. I believe, just like we sang, that God is good, that He is indescribable, that He is uncomparable, that He is unchangeable, that because of who He is, uh, even in difficult times, uh, He is still on this throne and God is in charge. So please know about prayers for you. Uh, thank you for just the privilege to be here this morning. Would you just go with me as we pray and begin this morning? Father, thank you that you are amazing. And sometimes, all we can do is just come up with human words for how great you are. Amazing, indescribable, incomparable. And those don't even do you justice. You are holy, you are magnificent, you are great, you are gracious, you are full of joy, you are full of peace, you are full of comfort. And so, Father, we express all this just in gratitude to you. Pray the Spirit continue to be in this place. You invited here, Lord. We want you here. Would you teach us? Would you guide us? Would you open your word and would you just allow us to penetrate the very core of who you are? Lord, we hope that you come here this morning. Amen. This morning we're going to be in two different passages. The first passage is Psalm chapter 107. We'll be looking at the first nine verses there for just a little bit. And then we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. That's where we'll spend the majority of our time. But first off, we're going we're gonna to look at Psalm uh, chapter 107 for just a little bit. One of the things that I find difficult in my Christian walk is trying to understand the goodness of God. Uh, would anybody agree with that? Okay. Uh, nobody else agrees. Awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate you being honest. I appreciate that. Everybody else, so when we're done here today, if y'all would just come help me understand the goodness of God, I would appreciate that. Um, and here's what I mean by that. If I walk outside and the sun is shining, 
and it's warm. And what I mean by warm, like mild warm, it's like 88 degrees in Matthew 5. Like I like the 98% humidity. This whole 35 degrees, I'm not, I'm not good with it, okay? Uh, but for me, to, to, to feel the warmth of the sunshine in a warm day, uh, to, hear, uh, to hear my wife walk in the door after a long day at work, to have my son sit with us and being out of town and where he was to be with us on Thanksgiving. Those are all things that when I look at with my physical eyes, I can say that it's God's gift. Right? You understand? I think most of us in the room understand that. And, and you have things, you have thoughts going through your mind right now where it's very easy to see the goodness of God. But there are times in our life where I think that it's more difficult to see the goodness of God. And that's, and that's really what I'm getting at of the times of my life that it's really, really hard to see how good God is. And as we come off of this Thanksgiving season, I think we become thankful for a lot of things. We become thankful for our family. We become thankful for just time with friends. We, we think we're very thankful to have a, a roof over our heads, whatever it may be. We're thankful for a good job. We, we have all of these things that we're thankful for. But I think sometimes what we miss uh, in being thankful for the most is being thankful for the goodness of God. And again, I don't want to focus on the things that we can see. This morning, we're going to take a few minutes. I want us to focus on the things that we can't see. Because even in the times when we don't see the goodness of God, we still should be thankful because God is good. And He's good all the time. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that sometimes. But this is what we're going to see this morning. If I can, just very quickly, I want to share with you three truths that point to the goodness of God. Three truths that point to the goodness of God. And the first one is found here in Psalm chapter 107, beginning in verse 1. And this is the first truth that I would show to you today, is that Scripture always points to the goodness of God. Okay, how do we know God is good? How do we need to be thankful for His goodness? Is that Scripture always points to His goodness. Look with me in Psalm chapter 107, beginning in verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the hand of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. They were hungry and thirsty. Their spirit failed within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He rescued them from their distress. He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wonderful works to the human race, for He has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. You see, the psalmist is pointing here to a lot of different things, but the overarching confession is that God is good. And when the people reached for Him, they found Him. In verses 1 and verse 8, we see that His love endures forever. It's good. We see that in verse 2 and in verse 6, He redeems His people, He delivers, and He rescues because God is good. Verses 3, 4, and 7, He gives direction to His people because He is good. In verses 5 and 9, He provides physical and for their spiritual food. Why? Because God is good. Scripture always points to the goodness of God. There's more than 60 verses in the Bible that point directly toward the goodness of God. Mark writes about it in Mark chapter 10 and verse 18. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except the one, God. The psalmist writes again in Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 119, you are good and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. 
Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. Over and over and over again, all throughout Scripture, we see it pointing to the goodness of God. I don't think anybody in this room would disagree that God is good all the time. What we would disagree on is trying to find the goodness in things that strike like tragedy, like sickness, like losing a job, like divorce. What's the goodness in that? Well, in and of themselves, those things are not good, but it doesn't diminish the fact that God is still good even in the midst of it. Why? Because He says so. Second truth that we learn from this is, is this is that not only does the scripture point to the goodness of God, but we also see that saints and servants, they also point to his goodness. We could walk from Genesis all the way through Revelation, and we could find servants of God that point to the goodness of who he is, the disciples, and David, and Mary, Isaiah, even Lydia herself. But I want to focus on one little thing this morning, if we can. This is found in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have been going around preaching. As Paul does, he has already been converted. He has gone from Saul to Paul on the road to Damascus. His blindness has been healed, and he has been teaching the Word of God. He has picked up a young man that he's been discipling by the name of Silas, and now Paul and Silas find themselves in prison. They have a girl that's been following them around, that's been shouting at them and, and doing all kinds of stuff. And Paul turns around and says, he basically just casts a demon out of this girl. And now all of a sudden, the way of life from who this young girl was working for is now diminished. It's completely turned upside down. And these men don't know what to do, so they just want Paul and Silas quieted. And so they want to throw them into jail. And so Scripture tells us that not only are they put in jail, but they're put in the inner jail. In verse 22 of chapter 16, it says, Then the mob joined in the attack. Against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. So get the picture here. Paul and Silas are preaching. The people don't like it, and all of a sudden they're thrown into jail. The magistrates are so upset, they're like, look, don't just put them in jail. Put them in the inner jail. Put them where it's dark. Put them where there's no sound. It's probably very dirty. And not only that, but go ahead and just clasp their feet too so they can't even get up and walk around. And then what I want you to do is I want you to put some more people even in the inner cell to guard them there. Then you'll have some more people outside the gate. And then some more people in the outer part of the jail. And then you'll have the normal guards outside. In other words, Paul and Silas are as deep in the jail as possible. They've been beaten. It says in verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. How many of us would be singing after being beaten? How many of us would even be praying? How many of us would be in the innermost part of the jail cell and not be terrified? But yet, here said Paul and Silas. 
but not only are they singing, but they're singing about the goodness of God. It's not just because that they have been beaten and bruised for the cause of Christ. They are singing and praying because they understand the goodness of who God is, and they're still singing. You see, the circumstances for Paul and Silas never changed the goodness of God. And this is what I'm talking about when we're trying to get to the point of how good is God. We can't comprehend the goodness of God. We get small glimpses in a rainbow and a baby flag. Family and friends gathered around the table, coming to church to worship together. All of these are just small glimpses of the goodness of God. He is incomparable. He is indescribable, just like we have sung about. But yet so many times we miss it because we think that circumstances declare the goodness of God, and they're completely the opposite. God's goodness transcends every circumstance. The Scripture points to this. These servants of God all throughout Scripture, they point to this as well. Absence of pain and suffering, trouble and sorrow, or even sickness does not define God's goodness. God's goodness is good because of who He is, not because of what He does. That's where we miss it so many times. Paul and Silas had this view of God's goodness, and they're doing it wrong. They're taking it wrong. Even God Himself speaks of what it means to be good. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, this is what God does as He's creating the world and the universe. He says, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the dry land earth, and He called the gathering of the water seas. And God saw that it was good. God placed them the stars in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth to dominate the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Why did he see that it was good? Because he knew who the Creator was. The Creator himself made all of these things. He didn't call them good because the creation was good. He called it good because the Creator was good. And that far transcends every circumstance that is going on. Everything that God does is intentional. It's on purpose. And it's good because He is good. The saints and the servants, just like Paul and Silas, they're living this out knowing that their circumstances and trials do not determine the goodness of God. And that's hard. Right? Is it not terribly difficult? Let me be transparent with you this morning. And let me just begin by saying that I'm going to do my best to tell you that. Because there's been a few times in my life where I've struggled with this. And when I say struggle, it's been wrestling with it. As in I'm going to give up. As in I'm tired. As in physically feeling not like that. I've been wrestling with the Spirit of God. My son was born a couple of years ago. He was born with all kinds of issues. Issues so much so that we were in the hospital and he had been alive for about 12 hours. The doctors came rushing in and removed him off and put an option in front of us. You need to put family members in the body. And we began to ask questions. We didn't have time for questions. We began to put family members in the body. He said, who do you trust? And so family family, he said, I guess family. And the next thing you know, he 
spent the next three hours just with doctors. What's going on? Why is this happening? Why is it rushing me? Where do you even find doctors to help me sleep? My wife, who is super smart, is trying to put all of these pieces together and finally figure out that he had the surgery that has to happen in his first 24 hours, and if not, he's going to die. My wife had major difficulties with just the whole birthing process. She's picked up all kinds of IVs and she's laying there in the bed and we're trying to figure out how do we get the baby born? What is going on? Is this the best option for me? My world's completely flipped upside down. We finally get her out and get her in the car and race into Vanderbilt. And by the time we get to Vanderbilt, my son's already been prepped for surgery and he's out the door. He's been saved. We have no idea what's happening. And within his first 72 hours, he has three major surgeries. and wheelchair into Vanderbilt, and the moments that we rolled in the ICU, and there were 23 other babies in the ICU, and there were 23 other moms crying, weeping, not knowing what the future held for their own children, to hear all of these babies screaming in ICU because of pain and hurt. My wife looked at me and said, Where is his goodness in that? Where is his, is his goodness when my son's life is hanging in the balance? Where is his goodness when I don't know if my wife's going to be able to make it from Jackson to Nashville? Where is his goodness when a doctor walks in after the first surgery and says, I don't know? That's all I can tell you. Is that the first surgery is successful, but from this point forward, I don't know if he's going to live or die. Where is the goodness of God? Your word tells me that you are good. And I'm choosing to believe that in this moment. And whether he lives or whether he dies, I'm still going to believe. But if I believe that he's still going to live, his life is going to have to be moved over here. If they go, that's just the sun shining and the sun coming up. Yeah, but in the moment, the day, 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 the
say that, that's an very clear thing to see, because from the Lord's information, and the capacity of God, not only the scripture thing, which we not only the servant thing, but the faith thinks and the goodness of God. Matthew chapter 19, it says this, just then someone came up and asked the teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus replied, why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, Continually points to the goodness of God. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is always pointing to the goodness of God. He went to the cross voluntarily because he understood that the circumstance of the cross and the circumstance of death and burial did not define the goodness of who God was. He knew that he had to go to the cross in order to experience even more of the goodness of who God was. And when he went for the sacrifice for you and for me, listen, he's completely pointing to the goodness of God. Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, that doesn't point to the goodness of God, but only to him does. You and I don't deserve a Savior. But yet, out of the abundant goodness of who God is, He's willing to give His only Son on the cross. Let me give you one more example, just very quickly, out of Acts chapter 16. And for me, it still blows my mind every time we read it. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. Uh, we see that they are singing hymns, and, and that uh, the prisoners are listening to them. Look what happens in verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28, but Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because all of us are here. And the jailer called for life, and verse 10, he came down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he escorted them out and said, Stay here. 
what must I do to be saved? Scripture goes on to say that the jailer took Paul outside of his tent and put his family, his whole family, was baptized. He, he washed their cuts and he, he, he helped heal their, their bruises and comforted them during this moment. Listen, here is a great example of the goodness of God because I think a lot of times we look at this passage and we think, man, there's so much to take from this. Could I worship in the middle of jail? Do I have faith like Paul and Silas that I'd be willing to be beaten and put in jail for the cause of Christ? Would I be able to, to sing in the midst of that nastiness and dirtiness? And let's just be real selfish here as human beings. If the gates had swung open and there had been an earthquake and my chains had fallen off, listen, let me be real with you. I'm out. Hard and fast. I'm gone. Paul and Silas didn't do anything. They stayed. And we look at all of those things, and it's very easy to try to compare. Would I do this? And Lord, give me the faith of that. Help me to be that type of person. But here's what I don't want you to miss. All of this was done so that the jailer and his family could be saved. The jailer would have never heard the gospel, you don't think, without Paul and Silas being put into prison. He certainly wouldn't have had the type of faith that he had after this if he hadn't heard them sing, felt the earthquake, saw the jail come open, watched the chains fall off. Listen, that'll get a person's attention. This points directly to the goodness of God. It's easy to look at Paul and Silas and say, God, how could you allow that to happen? But when you get the full story about how the jailer and his whole family then comes to the uh, to the redeeming love of Jesus, you kind of go, oh, that had to happen in order for this to happen. That's a direct reflection of the goodness of God. And so many times in our lives, we look at the circumstance that we sit in currently and we question God's goodness. And it's not until days and months and sometimes even years later that we look back and we have made it through those times. It's then we look back and go, oh, I could definitely have seen the goodness of God in this moment. So my challenge to you and to myself today is this, is in the moments that it's the hardest, in the moments that it's the darkest, in the moments that it's the dirtiest, and we feel like the shackles are completely pulling us down, listen, it is in those moments that we have to understand that the circumstances do not define the goodness of God. God defines His goodness. And everything about Him is perfect. And everything about Him is good. No matter what the world and no matter what Satan tries to tell you, you are good to God. Listen, I don't know where you are in your journey this morning. I don't know where you are in your faith journey, your physical journey, your emotional journey. Listen, but this is what I know, is that God is see it in this moment. You may not see it tomorrow, but it doesn't change His goodness. The scriptures point to it. The servants of God point to it. Even Jesus Himself, the Savior of the world, points to the fact that His Father is good and that He gives all the time. Let me be thankful for that goodness today. Let me just ask you to pray. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes with me this morning? And as you do that, I'll ask Pastor Brian to come back up and he's going to lead.
person trying to listen to what I just told you. The kids, child, just want to listen. Do you believe that God is good? Some days that's easy to see. Some days it's really, really hard. Are you walking through a moment right now in your life where you're grasping at something that feels like God, if you'll just show me something, if you'll shake the earth, if you'll just, if you'll do anything, I'll believe that you're good. And the Lord just simply tells you that God is good and God is promising you. And maybe He's causing you to just simply have faith and believe that right now. Maybe that's the first step to being shown this faith and trust in God. Maybe you're here this morning and you never even taken that first faith step. You've never taken that step to say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I want to follow you. Maybe that's where you're standing here today today. Maybe in the next few moments, you're just going to be coming to the altar and just simply pray and say, Lord, I believe you're good enough. Fill my life with your fresh life. Whatever you may be in this in the next few moments or minutes. However you need to respond, we'll be here to pray. If you have to pray for me, come over here. Don't leave this morning without being obedient to your word. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you that you are good and that you do not depend upon our currency. You are good because you are God. Father, thank you for the testimonies that you've given us in the scriptures. We deserve it that we've seen them. But Father, thank you so much for the testimonies of those saints. Thank you for your goodness and for your love. May you bless them now. May you walk them out. And may you help them to be obedient. Father, we take your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?